Hello and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Every Thursday, we go to the source of the story to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. I'm your host, Charlie, and today I'm bringing in a paper about giant ice disks. I'm your other host, James. I know absolutely nothing about large ice disks. So, Charlie, I've got plenty of questions for you. Well, I'll teach you a little bit, like, how it is that they spin. Ooh. It's so tricks. exciting, right? Uh, James and I are both PhD students. We read a lot of papers for our own research, and this podcast is a way for us to share our love for science and our knack for reading papers quickly with anyone else who wants to learn about discoveries that affect all of us. We are the Paper Boys. All right, Charlie, so you ice disks. How did this make the news? What prompted you to choose this article? So this one actually is something that was never on my radar before. But if you paid attention to the news last week, there was all this buzz about something happening in Westbrook, Maine. Um, oh, yeah, Westbrook, Maine. Yeah, we all know Westbrook, Maine. Everyone's got a little cottage up by there. The old cottage. We spend Westbrook, our summers there. But on the Presumpscot River, you know, your favorite <laughs> river, James. I agree. I grew up in the desert. I know nothing, nothing about rivers. But <laughs> You've yeah, never seen a river before. I've heard a lot of talk about them. So on the Presumpscot River, there was this giant phenomenon happening that is an ice disc. An and ice disc? Yeah, like it's this massive ice disc. So let me actually just show you the video of the ice disc on the Presumpscot River in Westbrook, Maine. How Presumpscot truest of you. <laughs> wow. It's a big disc of ice. Exactly like you said. Yeah, it's kind of anticlimactic. But actually, this video is really cool. Like, look at how massive that thing is. You can see next to it is a parking garage, and this thing dwarfs the parking garage. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. That's pretty cool. It looks like a great thing to fly a drone over. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty sick drone footy on this one. (laughs) But, you know, you can see in this video, it's, I think this one is like, it's hundreds of feet or hundreds of meters across. Wow. It's, It's massive. It's beautiful. I mean, if you saw that on the river, like, that would just be so it's mesmerizing looking at it on this video. Like, it'd be so cool to just walk and see it. People have literally been traveling across the world to go see this disc. Really? Yeah. I, you know, on a lot of these news articles that I've read, there's a news crew at the disc, and they're reporting from <laughs> live on the scene at the disc. Hi, this is James reporting from the disc. The disc. The Presumpscot disc. Yeah. Uh, no, it, so it's a really big deal. People are making a big deal out of this ice disc. It, it's kind of like, you know, you got your top three, you got your eclipses, your volcanic eruptions, your ice discs. Yeah, all, the natural wonders of the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Presumpscot ice disc is up there. It is cool, though, honestly. It is cool. And when you look at it from overhead like that, it almost looks like the surface of the moon. It's very pocky and light and dark. Yeah, it would be home anywhere in the universe, those images. Yes. And that actually has caused... So let me read the some of the headlines that drew, drew attention the fact that it looks that way has actually caused some speculation. <laughs> oh, God. So the headline that first grabbed me on this one was from Time. A bizarre ice circle is turning heads in Maine. Here's the science behind it. That one, for a paper boy, that's effectively clickbait. If you say here's the science behind it, I'm all in. Just point them to the paper boys podcast about it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, now here's, here's where it gets kind of funny. The Portland patch, that's Portland, Maine 
says spinning ice disc in Maine raises speculation of alien invasion. It's the Portland patch, man. Give him a break. I mean, it's funny because when you actually read the article, they really don't talk anything about an alien invasion. Really? Yeah. Oh, so that's like, okay. Yeah. That's bad. Not great, yeah. Uh, CBS News, giant ice disc, 300-foot frozen spectacle forms in Maine River. And then NBC News, in one of the great journalistic clashes of our time, called out the Portland patch. Aliens didn't create this weird swirling disc in a Maine river. Here's what did. Man, I've said it once on the show. I've said it again. Shots fired. You know, that rivalry between NBC News and the Portland patch is one we've been following closely. The Twitter feud is just, you know, epic proportions. <laughs> it's burning up. So you get the sense from these headlines, giant ice disc, aliens created it, aliens didn't create it. It's 300 feet across. That's what really matters. But the, where did it come from? How did it form? Why is it spinning? Well, so the paper that I want to talk about today addresses the last question you ask, which is how is it spinning? There's this interesting thing. It's not just a very large disk of ice. These have been observed in nature before. They're, mm-hmm. they're pretty rare. One of the scientists quoted in these news articles said that this is the kind of thing they hear about only once or twice every winter, like worldwide. Oh, wow. There's so a lot it, of rivers. Right. And so it's not very common for these things to form. But what they do observe is that no matter what size they are when they do form, they all spin at the same speed. Wow. So regardless of the river and location? Yeah. And more importantly, regardless of the size. So wow, this one is particularly big, which is why it's made so many headlines. 300 feet is like almost unheard of. I mean, that's huge. That's a football field. I mean, we looked oh, at the yeah. video. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And normally these things are, you know, between... They could be one foot or they could be 50 feet or something. They could be maybe 100. But again, 300 is very large for this. Wow. But even if it was a 10-foot one, it, would, it spins at the same speed. So the paper that I'm bringing in is called Rotation of Melting Ice Discs Due to Melt Fluid Flow by uh, the first author is S. Dorbolo. And then there's a bunch more authors. I think they're Belgian. And it was published in actually in the March 2016 issue of Physical Review E, which is a journal that covers statistical, nonlinear, biological, and soft matter physics. Okay. So the paper is a little bit old, but I found the paper in a link in that first Time article, one where they explain the science behind uh, this ice disk. Okay. So this paper then goes into why it is these disks spin? Yes. So they don't really offer an explanation as to how they form. Um, in the intro to the paper, they do say that there's two hypotheses for how these ice discs can form. One is that there's already a vortex that's naturally formed in the river. So vortex is just like a, whir- a whirlpool that you okay. see. One of those um, little eddies you see on the side of a river sometimes. Yes. One hypothesis is that there already is one of those. And then a bunch of what's called frazzle ice collects in there. Frazzle ice is just crystals that are not really coherently stuck together. That they just collect in this vortex and start kind of spinning around and, and get stuck there. Another hypothesis is that it's one large ice block that as it kind of floats down a river and maybe does get stuck in an eddy, gets ground down on the sides. Like as it bumps into the side of the river on the shore, it kind of knocks off some ice here, knocks off some ice there. And so the natural shape that it takes throughout this course is circular. Wow. That's so interesting because, you know, if I'm just imagining this eddy and ice flowing in, kind of the way things usually collect on the side of a river you're just kind of imagining it getting it torn up and just pushed downstream but the fact that it's able to maintain this form there must be something much more complicated going on underneath yeah i mean it's it's possible that there's something more complicated and again that's why these are so rare to observe 
All right. So putting on my experimental grad student hat right now, how would you even go about experimenting to discover this? So what they did is created a little bath of water where they could tightly control the temperature of that water. And then they floated their own little homegrown ice discs on top of the water Mm -hmm. and essentially just kind of observed what happened. And what's interesting is they put when they put these ice discs on the water, they noticed that they would spontaneously start spinning. Really? And this is not in a river. This is the, the water bath that it's sitting in is not moving. There's no flowing water in there. They put it in a perfectly still surface of water and it spontaneously starts spinning. Wow, that's so cool. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, but was it aliens spinning the ice? Uh, yeah, they actually found in the conclusion of the paper that it was aliens, but, but we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, no. It's not aliens. So they actually discovered that there was a vortex forming underneath the ice disk. Really? Yeah. Wow. So a vortex under the water. How would they discover that? I mean, I imagine this is a small bathtub. It seems like it would be difficult to observe and actually quantify. Yeah. So it, it, it is difficult to observe if you're just looking at it. So just for some numbers, the bathtub was 30 centimeters in diameter. These disks were the size of a Petri dish. So they're doing it all on a smaller scale than what you'd see in this river, but it's representative. But you're right. A vortex would be hard to observe if you're just looking at the water and trying to see what's going on underneath. So what they did was with their ice disc, they added some food coloring to it and were able to observe what was happening to the water that was melting off of the ice. So if you're imagining looking at the clear water and there's a a blue ice disc at the top, anything that's melting off that blue ice disc is going to sort of diffuse out into the water and you can track it. Wow. Okay. So you can trace the water from the ice as it goes and permeates through. Yes. And so when they did that and they colored the disc, then they looked at it and they could see qualitatively that the melting water was spinning and was creating a vortex. Hmm. And also what was really important is that that melting water was sinking to the bottom. Oh, interesting. It's sinking. Yeah. Why would it be sinking? Because that I'm like going through my mind why it would sink and it's not sinking up in my mind. <laughs> it's not sink- So this is now like where they kind of took the next step, which was really cool, which was to figure out why it was sinking. They started to track what was the rotation speed of this disc as a function of the temperature of the water it was sitting in. So they can change the temperature of the bath. And it's crazy. There's this plot in the paper where you can see... So they go from a temperature, you know, starting at zero degrees Celsius. And of course, the ice is at zero degrees Celsius. And they go all the way up to like 50 degrees Celsius. And they plot that versus the angular rotation. And you can see that around five degrees is when the rotation actually starts. Below five degrees Celsius of the water temperature, the ice disk doesn't rotate. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this plot and there is a very clear relationship between the temperature of the water and the rotational speed. Yeah, and you see that it actually starts rotating faster the warmer the water gets. Wow. And it gets up to, you know, like five, six degrees per second rotation, which is pretty fast for like just spontaneously starting to spin. Yeah, just for a piece of ice. And what's fascinating is, I mean, this is in a bathtub. There is no current. Yeah, there's no water. Totally spontaneous. And so that fact that it didn't start rotating until after around five degrees was like for people who work on water dynamics and ice and stuff, what, you know, whatever this, this field is. Hydrology. That's yeah. Hydrology. That was like an alarm bell to them because apparently four degrees Celsius is the point where water has the highest density. That's really weird. I guess it makes sense when you think that ice expands. So 
as it gets colder, maybe it gets denser for a period of time and then it starts to get less dense before it freezes? Yeah, so water is, is an unusual thing where you're right. Like if you remember from high school chemistry, you look at the phase diagrams, water is strange in that when it freezes, it goes to a lower density. But normally the correlation is as things get colder, they get higher density. But so then water kind of has this flip. So it turns out that flip, I think, is at four degrees Celsius. So that was like a, that's a very prominent number in these guys' minds. Wow. That's so cool. That's one of those things when I start thinking about water density, it's like one of those mysteries of the world. You know, like how much in life depends on water freezing and being less dense. Oh, yeah. It's like it changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. And wow. So that was a clue to them. And so then they were like, all right, well, now we got to examine this a little bit more in detail. So they just keep following the clues until they really find the answer. So what they do now is this technique called particle image velocimetry or PIV. Okay. And the way that PIV works is you can do this with like almost any fluid flow. You put a bunch of tiny fluorescent particles in the fluid and then you have a laser, like a sheet laser. So not just one not just one line, but it's actually like a full-on plane of laser light. Oh, cool. And then you shoot that planar laser across your thing. So the laser will excite those fluorescent particles so they glow. And then you have a camera that's capturing the glow of those particles. And then you have software that essentially tracks the movement of those particles in the plane of the laser. That sounds very technical. It is very technical. It's for something that is a pretty simple concept. There's so much math behind it. It's crazy. But it's a very useful technique because then they can plot the velocity of this flow at essentially every point on that plane. And so then if they take two planes, they can kind of reconstruct a 3D picture of what the flow looks like. Wow. Okay. So they're reconstructing the flow in 3D so that they could actually quantitatively map the vortices then. Yes. And, and so, you know, they actually show those plots in the paper of what this vortex looks like. And so it essentially just confirms that, yes, there is this vortex and it allows them to get specific velocities and sizes of the vortex. And so they find particular things like that the vortex radius is about half the radius of the ice disk. Interesting. Did they test different size ice disks? Okay. So I don't, yeah. I don't think that they did test different sizes, but they do use these, the quantitative measurements they got from the PIV to you know, run that through some theory. And we'll, you know, we can talk about that in a second. But doing it was not just to basically say like, oh, look at some pretty plots. It actually got them some numbers that were pretty useful in their theory section that comes sort of at the end of the paper. And so almost more importantly, what they found with the PIV was, uh, yes, there's a vortex, but also that the flow under the ice disk had an average velocity that was downwards. And it was downwards at a speed of like a centimeter per second, which is pretty fast. Moving through water, water moving through water, that seems very fast. Right. I mean, given that this disk itself is only a couple centimeters across and the bath is only 30, I mean, that's like, imagine when you scale that up to your three, your 100 meter diameter ice disc in the Presumpscot River. If you were sitting in the water underneath there, it's probably like pushing you around a lot. Yeah, you can start to understand why these water vortices are so dangerous. You hear about people drowning in them a lot. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's interesting. I never actually thought about the downward velocity of the water though. Yeah, well, and so the downward velocity is not just a function of the vortex. It's It's a function of that sinking effect that we talked about before. From the difference in density for the water coming off the ice. Yeah. So how then is the vortex forming? So this is, and I don't quite understand the physics here, but I think this is a well-understood thing in fluid dynamics. But apparently it's actually the sinking of the water that creates the vortex. 
So as the higher density water sinks through the lower density water, it creates a plume behind it. And then that plume somehow induces a rotation of the water. Wow. So I think you can almost imagine like when you scoop your hand through water, you know how on the side of your hand, a little vortex will form. And if you take your hand back out, they'll keep spinning. Like the same way with airplanes. There's a great photo with like uh, smoke behind the tips of a wing. Yeah, those are called uh, trailing vortices. Hold on. So now I'm really curious about how these vortices form because you showed me that plot. There's something, there seems like there's something really important about four degrees. Like if the water's colder than four degrees, these don't start forming. Yeah. So the reason why it forms at a temperature higher than four degrees, and again, that's the temperature of the bath water. Okay. So the ice is at zero degrees Celsius by definition. And if it's sitting in water that's, say, 10 degrees Celsius, then if you imagine at the bottom of the ice, it's going to start melting away, and the water that's coming off of the ice that's melting is at zero degrees. Mm-hmm. And it's going to mix with the 10-degree water until the point where at some point between zero and 10, it's going to hit four degrees. Yeah. So that local water that has reached four degrees, lo- just in the, lo- in the vicinity of the bottom of the disk, will sink because the water around it is lower density. Wow, that's so neat. You can imagine it's like, if you could film this in really slow motion, which like, obviously you could do, it would just be neat. <laughs> You're, you just have this ice disc sitting on the water and then you just instantly reach this point where the water that's melting off of it turns to four degrees and then it just starts spinning as yeah. that water starts to sink. And Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really neat. sort of unstable equilibrium. It is, yeah. Okay, so this water at four degrees, it's more dense and it's sinking. And we talked about why that may induce a vortex in the water, but what's the relationship between this phenomenon that's happening underneath the water and the sheet of ice that's on the top? Like, why would that make it start spinning? That's a really good question. And they talk about this. They say that the rotation of the water underneath the disc has this uh, quote unquote viscous entrainment with the disc. Essentially, that just means that the you know viscous force of the water starts to kind of drag on the surface of the ice and pulls it up to speed. So if you dropped, if you're draining your bathtub and there's a vortex there at the drain, if you dropped a loofah on top of it, the loofah is going to spin. That's just because the viscous force of the water caused it to spin. Okay, so almost like in the, in the most extreme case, like it's highly viscous. You can almost think of it as just like attached by a rope. Yeah. It spins, it's attached, it'll spin too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it spe- it's sort of is slower to spin up than that because of, you know, all the kind of water flowy things. But then that <laughs> begs the question of why doesn't it keep spinning up forever? And why does it reach a constant speed? And why do you see the same speed for a giant disc as you do for a small disc? That surprises me. Why do you do <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> Tell me. So they argue that it's because of a balance between the accelerating force of the vortex and then there's a frictional force on the parts of the disc that are not exposed to the vortex that those then have friction with the water that isn't moving. So it's kind of like a balance between your accelerating viscous force and your decelerating viscous force. And those eventually reach an equilibrium where the disc spins at a constant rate. Wow, that's that's still just so surprising to me that, you know, across different discs of different sizes, like the scale is so much different for this disc in Maine. It's 300 meters across versus this little three centimeter petri dish sized disc in the lab. But that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you think that it's really probably because of the way that the vortex scales 
and it all scales with radius and the area exposed is going to be proportional to the square of the radius and all the you know the friction is also proportional so that way you get bigger even though there's more vortex right i think they just all scale neatly to cause it to rotate at about the same speed no matter what wow that is that is so cool i'm gonna take off my experimental grad school hat and put on my skeptical scientist hat okay um how do they know then that it's not spinning by a different mechanism so one way that they tested this was um, they just made the water a lot shallower. Okay. And so in shallow water, they observed that it actually didn't spin at all because there was no chance for any water to sink and create a vortex. There wasn't enough space for that sinking vortex to to be generated. Hmm. Okay. The water, cold water just settles on the bottom and then there's no vortex. Yeah. Right. Because that settling is occurring right at the bottom of the disc itself. So I thought that was a cool little like quantitative way for them to do a gut check on whether their theory was correct. And then they also did a whole like on paper theory where they measured the Reynolds number based on their PIV measurements. And they talked about the buoyancy flux and they pulled the disc out at several different times to weigh it to see what the mass flux of ice was. All these very, you know, quantitative things to essentially predict what the rotation rate would be if you were having a balance of these two viscous forces and the number that they end up getting from their prediction like perfectly matches what the experiment showed. Really? Yeah. Wow. Beautiful science. Yeah, it's like a pretty satisfying moment for a scientist. Science one? I was going to say nature zero, but... Ice disk zero. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, ice disks. You're mystery. Take that, aliens. (laughs) (laughs) So interestingly, this whole theory also kind of explains why they've never observed an ice disk that has formed on a lake. So these things really only tend to form in in rivers. Um, So a lake is actually too deep for it to happen. Too deep? Yeah, because in a lake, all of that four degree dense water has settled to the bottom. And since the lake is totally still, in the winter, it has a chance to really cool down. So it turns out that the water above is actually colder than four degrees, not warmer like you would see in a river. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So the water and the ice, even though the ice is melting, it just, it won't reach four degrees. It'll reach three degrees or two and a half degrees. Right. It's melting to a temperature that's not warm enough to reach that high density point. So you don't get the sinking vortex effect. So what you're really saying is we should safely bring a lot of hair dryers to Lake Michigan or some other lake. <laughs> sure. And test their hypothesis get a nice giant ice disc going yeah so another thing they point out is that this also explains why icebergs don't rotate as they melt and this was i didn't quite understand this point but it has to do with the fact that it's salt water versus fresh water so i think it's just melting the melting causes just a dilution of salt water rather than some sort of sinking fresh water effect you know i don't they're hydrologists they probably understand that better but you know this theory does explain these effects that are observed. Wow. Could you imagine a huge iceberg spinning also? That'd be nuts. So terrifying. Yeah. And then one final little thing that they did to kind of test this theory was they took a disc of caramel and they put it in their water bath and they observed that the caramel started spinning spontaneously. Really? Yeah, because the caramel had this same effect where as it started to melt, you know, you can think of caramel as obviously denser than water. It's going to sink. So, yeah. And the sinking of the caramel created these vortex effects. And so this is just their way of saying, like, this theory is generic. It applies 
regardless of fluid, as long as you have the effect that the melted fluid is of higher density than the fluid around it. Wow, that's so cool. So really, I mean, in explaining the ice disk rotation, they're coming up with an even broader explanation for natural physics and phenomena. Yes, of basically like spontaneous formation of a vortex. Cool. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah, I thought it was super fascinating. It was just really cool how they kind of stepped through the the different aspects of this by like, oh, well, we're observing one thing. That's a clue that, so we're observing that the ice disk is rotating. That's a clue that something's going on. Okay, well, we observe that it only rotates above five degrees. That's a clue that it has to do with the density of the water. Okay, we observe that there's a vortex forming underneath. That's a clue that it has to do with viscous forces. You know, it's just following the clues until you finally hit the correct theory. I thought it was a very cool paper. Yeah, I... It definitely is. I had seen a little bit about this in the news, and my first gut reaction was like, oh, there's this natural phenomena happening on a river in a small town in Maine. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It sounds exciting. Yeah. But the, to actually go in and investigate it and discover such a depth of interesting science and physics is really cool. Yeah. So next time that you see news about one of these things, you'll have a better understanding. I'll never look at a river the same way. Good. (laughs) Or a spinning ice disc. Good. Okay, so from your findings, looking back at the news headlines, this is just my gut feeling. I think you're not going to be very happy with the news outlet that said it was aliens. Actually, their article was actually really good. Really? Yeah, the headline was misleading, but the rest of the article was like very thorough. Wow. They kind of covered wow. all the all these different physics of maybe how these things form, and they quoted a bunch of meteorologists, and they talked about other ice disks that have been observed in different states and how commonly they occur. Don't judge an article by its headline. Yeah, which, I mean, is, I guess the <laughs> number one rule in online journalism these days is just do whatever headline you need to do to get the click. Yeah, and then mislead them. Yeah, so no. Portland Patch, thumbs up on the article thumbs sideways on the headline. Uh, the Time article, which turned me onto this paper in the first place, was, uh, it, I mean, it was good. Like, I'm glad that I read it because it, I found this paper through it, but it was pretty short. For something whose headline is, here's the science behind it, it really did not give much science. <laughs> kind of threw up a link and just did a cursory, yeah, there's a vortex. They're like, here's the science behind it. Go read this paper. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. But, well, you know, this paper was was e- an easy read. Like, I think anyone listening to this should go ahead and read the paper themselves if you have the chance. But still, that's, you know, the journalist's job is to relay it. So, yeah, fail. Well, that was super interesting. Thanks for bringing that one in, Charlie. I will walk away from this knowing much more about ice disks than I did at the start. And hopefully our listeners do, too. Good. I'm glad that you liked it. So you can find out more about this paper and we'll post the news articles and we'll also post that sick drone video of this ice disk on our website, paperboyspodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode too, please don't forget to share it with a friend or on social media. Also, don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at paperboyspod. Join us next week for another exciting edition of Paperboys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>